Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. Today we will be discussing inclusion and reinventing organisations and systems for more regenerative models. I'm delighted to welcome, or should I say welcome back, Graham Boyd, author of Rebuild, The Economy, Leadership and You. Graham, it's great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you as well, Susie. It's fantastic to be back in conversation with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So am I. So let's go there. Uh, Last time we explored your book in great depth, but looking at the two main elements of creating a fundamentally different system rather than fine-tuning the existing one, but also rebuilding. So, you know, using the existing valuable elements to recreate rather than start from scratch. And we delved into the six ecosystem strata model that you have. And I would like to start there today. And I would like to look at that model through an an inclusion lens because for me, people are complex systems too. So, you know, how can inclusion impact the way we perceive this six ecosystem strata model, which can be 2D or 3D essentially, or maybe even 4D, that's a different discussion. (laughs) Yes, yes. Or even 6D, because you could think of each stratum as a different dimension. And in some senses, yes, each stratum is a different dimension. Mm. Mm. So inclusion and each individual mm. is a complex ecosystem well that's that's really what the very first stratum is yeah. in the sixth strata the first stratum is the ecosystem of each individual's inner life inner world inner reality mm. and so by explicitly recognizing that stratum one each individual is a complex ecosystem. Yeah. And with ecosystem, to be clear, I mean both structures mm. and interactions. Yeah. An ecosystem ha- is dynamic. An mm. ecosystem is something that is actually moving in, in a const- constant process. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a statue, not an ecosystem. Yeah. And this is the internal ecosystem, isn't it? It's really what's yes. going on inside every single one of us. Yes, exactly. It's the internal ecosystem. And so inclusion at that level is already an issue for most of us <laughs> yeah. because most of us reject some part of who we are. Yeah. So there's an issue with in, or there's a, an inclusion challenge or opportunity or building site, which is all about each of us needs to be in a constant process of rebuilding who we are. Mm both because who we are is growing and changing over time, as well as because the ecosystem of who I am is not yet sufficiently inclusive. Mm. And inclusive for me, I connect very strongly with what Margaret Wheatley said. If you want to heal an ecosystem, you do what nature does to heal an ecosystem. You connect it with more of itself. And inclusion in some ways is about recognizing everything that is inadequately connected with everything else and increasing the connectivity. Mm. And that's why I like to think of humans as perfect imperfections, if you like. Yes. We're perfectly imperfect. But I think the acceptance of that is at the basis of being inclusive with yourself. And I wanted us to bring these two subjects together because I just think inclusion gets ticked off on a list like diversity and it's a very complex subject and there's a lot of opportunities in it I love the building site analogy because I think it is a journey without a destination we are constantly evolving and it's not about the binary thoughts of let's just fix things so self-improvement and I must lose weight or I must go to the gym or I must it's not about fixing ourselves it's about letting ourselves grow and evolve and I don't think that lens is often given to ecosystems yes but only in the natural world so I would like to shift the lens to, and this is why I love the strata that is so simple yet so complex, but the internal, as with all leadership discussions, and here we're on self-leadership, it's about looking inside and understanding how to be inclusive with yourself. Yes, yes. And if I build on what you've just said, one of the things that's at the heart of our adaptive way within our startup creation program and business transformation program, one of the key 
foundations in there is nobody is a problem to fix. Everybody's a mystery to explore. Mm. And again, for me, that's you can't have inclusion if you're looking at some difference between me and you mm. or some difference between part of me and another part of me as a problem to fix. Mm. That's not inclusion. That's exclusion. Far rather, if we look at it as a mystery to explore, then that opens up the mindset needed to find out how do we include what we currently see as a problem. Yeah, and that's such a refreshing paradigm shift because you can almost feel the pressure coming off when you're saying, okay, it's not something to fix, it's something to evolve or to include. And I do think that, you know, the this question around internal ecosystems and being inclusive is also about bringing people to this stage of, I'm going to call it consciousness or awareness, that in fact, this is about building better together. And I know that sounds like a a corporate slogan, but that really is what collective ecosystems are about for me. But you have to understand the structure so that once you've framed it, you have freedom within that frame to actually let things evolve and, and go on your journey, which doesn't necessarily have a destination, I feel. Yes, exactly. Or it may have a general direction yes. as, yeah. a, as a destination, but it doesn't have a necessarily a specific point mm. that it has to land at. Mm. And it's, it's the sort of critical systems thinking gap, isn't it? That, that, yes. That's what I call it when I, I'm working in organizations and when I worked in an organization, that's the gap we're bridging constantly internally. But also, um, externally and that's why I like the different levels of let's call it 60 um, because I think you know it it gives you a pathway Mm. it gives you a pathway to connect what you're doing with yourself and then with the external world so you know what what does that look like for you if I go above the internal strata up to interpersonal and organizational what happens there right so stratum two which is the interperson this now brings in the next layer of complexity Mm -hmm. of ecosystems, systems and interactions. And it's the next layer in the sense that stratum two includes all of the complexity of all of the stratum ones of each person that is in a team, for instance. Mm. So you're now going up a massive order of complexity because not only is it all of the individual complexities, It's all of the new emergent complexities that only arise when people are interacting with each other. Mm. And this then leads you to, even at the beginning, inclusion means being aware that every single person in a team is living in a different reality to yours. The reality that they experience, that they are living in, is not some absolute fixed entity that is outside them rather the reality that they're living in is what they internally construct out of the limited amount of data Mm. they take in of the outside world and from their internal senses and then add meaning to and distort through their filters yeah so only by recognizing that are we in a position at a team level to recognize that Inclusion at a team level does mean, again, exploring the mystery of who each of us is and who we are together, rather than trying to look at things as problems that need to be fixed. Yeah, we're back to stories, aren't we? It's our interpretation of the multiple stories that are available both within us, but also when I take it to team level and your description of team level, you've got couple of libraries there already in terms of stories so you know it's hard when you we often hear it's not one size fits all but of course it isn't and that's what makes it so rich but so I was gonna say difficult so challenging to manage sometimes yes I'll put in one one element here one of the challenges that we have is if if an individual comes in with an internal reality that is saying something like, I need to prove how smart I am. 
or how mm-hmm. good I am or whatever, mm-hmm. and takes on a role that is actually not one that they are really suited to performing in, but rather one that they want to be seen to perform in because that will prove how smart they are. Yeah. Yes. That then leads to a dysfunctional system. If that person is, for example, leading a key um, element of a business, then most likely that unit in the business is going to underperform because that person is doing it not because they are genuinely there to do that job and are seeing the job as what they're there to do, but rather because they're using the job as a way to prove something. Mm. Mm. And this is very common. You find this all yeah. over the place. Mm. You know, equally the other way around, you may have somebody in a role who is doubtful of what they bring to the table and who's in a role that is way, way smaller than their capacity. Mm. And again, that is dysfunctional. Not only is the business losing the opportunity that they the business would otherwise have, but in many senses, that only serves to reinforce that person's self-doubt, especially if that person is reporting to somebody who is actually not competent to lead. And you now have this inverted pyramid that is so common in the workplace of the leaders of the people who, let's say, embedded themselves into leadership roles because of their need to prove their worth. Yes. And the followers of people who doubt themselves but are actually better. That is a recipe for disaster in terms of inclusion. It's it's the wrong kind of inclusion. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But we're back to systems, aren't we? Because for me, it's perpetuated by a system. And then I can tell myself that story if I'm stood in that leader's shoes that I'm in the right place for whatever reason. Or I can tell myself if I'm in the follower's shoes with more potential than I dare to admit that that's the place for me and that I should be playing small for this reason or that reason. And it brings me to you know, the Drucker quote on culture eat strategy for breakfast, which you talk about in your book, particularly in relation to the internal and external mental models of an organization and i think here we're on um implicit culture codes or culture cultural filters and when i say culture i'm talking about organizational culture for the moment so yeah culture eat strategies for, for breakfast but if i tag on to that that inclusion lays the foundation for culture <laughs> what does that mean for that relationship graham because you're right um that's exactly what happens in organization i'm sure all of our listeners have either lived one of those situations or are seeing it regularly so you know, how can we nudge that system and what could inclusion bring to it for you? Yes. So I think of what culture is to, or how I look at culture. Mm. You know, so in stratum one, the individual's ecosystem, there you have personality. Mm. In stratum two, the next layer of complexity that goes from personality up to the equivalent in stratum two, that's culture. Yeah. And so culture is a consequence of all of the different meaning-making stories of the individuals and how they come together to make a collective meaning-making story that everybody to some sense or in some sense subscribes to. And then you, again, you Inclusion comes into that in that we're now coming into the territory of what I call complementary pairs. Yeah. You know, the opposite of a deep truth is another equally deep truth. Can you just walk us through that? Because I, I, I understand it. I've read it from your book, but it would be nice if you could just walk our listeners through complementary pairs and what it means in this context. Yes. So complementary pairs are two things that at first sight seem to be in opposition to each other, to be mutually exclusive. But when you look deeper, let's say behind the scenes, you realize that they're different sides of the same coin. Mm. So it's one coin with a head and a tail rather than separate head and separate tail. And mm. the, the classic example in physics, of course, is, is an electron a particle or a wave? Well, the answer is, depends on how you look at it. If you look at it one way, it's a wave. If you look at it another way, it's a particle. Mm. So if we come to inclusion, well, 
for an organization to exist, for a team to exist, for a community to exist, there needs to be some boundary mm. between membership and non-membership. So you need, for an organization to function, you need some exclusion. Mm -hmm. And a big part of the role of culture, or, or part of the role of culture, is the role of establishing the boundary between inside and outside. And so perhaps a more nuanced question is not so much inclusion, 0% or 100%, good or bad, mm. it's more a question of what is the requisite inclusion we need in order to be really functional, to be truly aligned to our values, our ethos, what the world needs, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, e even my body is not very inclusive. If a coronavirus comes yeah. <laughs> into my body, my body is not going to be inclusive in its response. It is going to be highly exclusive. Yeah, um, it's antibodies. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, you know, this is then where, where culture, in a sense, culture is also never right, because culture has its roots in what was at some point in the past, and mm -hmm. is trying to maintain that. However, as the world changes, so the requisite inclusion changes. Mm. And culture is always, well, not necessarily always, but most of the time going to be catching up to yeah. what is actually needed to respond to the world. And that's at the heart of building a really adaptive organization is recognizing that much of what we're facing is an adaptive challenge. I need to change who I am. Mm. The organization's culture needs to change who the organization is as a living being to include what was perhaps previously excluded and exclude what may previously have been included to stay in the sweet spot of viability. Mm. And I like the complementary pairs, which is keeping you in the sweet spot of viability. And I know you help organizations scale and I was going to say grow this type of culture, but let this type of culture evolve so that it, it remains as inclusive as possible or as, as adaptive as possible. So, so what's your view on what, what I see is large organizations and you know SMEs taking adaptive structures in terms of concept like teal or sociocracy or agile and shoehorning them in to an existing culture or an existing perception of the people interpersonal strata. So, you know, what I'm then seeing, it just goes into that this is how we do stuff around here with a few quick wins that look a bit different. So how could, if that's what you're seeing is happening, what would your advice be, Graham, to, to building that culture, that cultural space differently? Yes. So from what I've seen, much of the time you have some initial successes but over time, it goes horribly wrong. Mm. And sometimes it goes horribly wrong from the start. Which is easier in a way. <laughs> yes, which is easier in the way. <laughs> if it goes horribly wrong at the end, it's usually because of two factors. So first of all, stratum one, if you don't first bring in new structured dialogue patterns, that enable people to recognize that this is an adaptive challenge for each person individually mm. and give them the tools to change their self-identity. People whose self-identity is derived from the old power hierarchy, the management accountability yeah. hierarchy, are going to struggle to change into a sociocratic or holocratic way of working simply because who they are is not no longer validated mm. by the new way of working. And to be fair, that's a tough ask, isn't it? You know, I know you liked who you were yesterday, but can you please be somebody different because it's better for, for the organization? You know, if I put it in black and white like that, it can yes. sound quite void of purpose almost. Yes, exactly. It's, it's a really challenging request. And yet, because 
most people in organizations derive a significant part of their identity from their work, their position in the hierarchy, the job that they're doing, their professional qualifications. You know, mm. How often does somebody answer the question, what do you do, with the sentence stem, I am, yes. in the job title, professional yeah. qualification here? Mm. Yes. Yeah. And so our identity and how our work is structured are deeply interdependent. And so that's the first thing that, that we do when we're working with organizations is, first of all, begin the journey of equipping people to recognize what part of their identity, what part of their self is anchored in their qualifications, their role, their position, whatever it may be, and begin giving them the tools to, A, recognize that the tension they're feeling as sociocracy is rolled out is a tension between who they need to be to function in sociocracy versus who they currently are. And how they've built their identity and sense of self-worth. Exactly, yeah. how they've built okay. it, and therefore that they have agency to rebuild it. They're not victims. They have agency. Mm. Um, they're not victims of whatever it was that built their identity 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Mm. The second one and by the way, sociocracy is sitting in stratum three of my six stratum model. Mm -hmm. That's the abstract layer, as is holacracy, mm -hmm. agile, and many other approaches. So stratum three is the layer of the systems and interactions of roles, accountabilities, and tasks, independent of any individual or group of humans energizing or executing them. Okay. So stratum three is the abstract stratum. And of course, in a functioning organization, everything in stratum three includes everything in stratum one and two as well. Uh, I, that was my next question. Okay. <laughs> yes. Now, the other thing that goes wrong when people mm. try to make these changes sits in stratum four. And that's where we have, to my mind, the biggest need to rebuild around inclusion. Mm -hmm. Stratum four is the ecosystem, in other words, the systems and interactions between stakeholders and the capitals they represent mm -hmm. but with each other and the business. And at the moment, we build businesses in a way that only the stakeholders that are investing money in the company actually engage in that ecosystem in an effective, inclusive way. It's and not all deep democracy, is it, Graham? No, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's much more like apartheid South Africa. <laughs> yeah. You know? So if you have money to invest, then you get governance power and you get a share of the wealth mm. generated and you have power over the direction of the company. If you are investing time capital as a member of staff, if you're investing relationship capital as a customer or a supplier, if you're nature, investing natural capital, whatever else you're investing, if you're the city, investing built capital, the infrastructure of the city, you have no voting rights, no say, you are excluded. Mm. And that lack of inclusivity in stratum four mm. then cascades down and really shapes everything that is easy or difficult or downright impossible in stratum three, two, and one. Yeah. yeah. You and get disconnect, don't you, with what's happening at stratum four? Yes, exactly. Mm. I have one example from a friend of mine. He was working for a consultancy that was using holacracy. And the company was doing really well. All of the consultants were highly motivated because it was a holocratically driven organization. There were developmental practices in place. So strata one, two, and three were completely aligned. They were highly inclusive, at least in terms of the boundaries around requisite inclusivity and or mm -hmm. requisite diversity. However, stratum four, the founder of the company had the controlling vote in the shareholder structure of the company. 
And on Monday morning, this friend of mine arrived at work to discover that on the previous Friday evening, the founder had inked a deal with a private equity company and had sold the entire <gasps> consulting business to a PE house. Mm -hmm. And this friend of mine, along with all of his colleagues, arrived at work on Monday morning to discover that the PE house had instituted a new executive layer. And the first thing that this executive team did was rip out all of holacracy and institute a vertical management accountability hierarchy like any other consultancy. Wow. Wow. And that's the other place yeah. where so many initiatives go wrong is because of the lack of inclusion where power really sits, yeah. which is stratum four. Yeah. But it's it's hard because it's too it's too difficult, isn't it? You know, it's quite risky, I suppose, if I look at how risk averse that level can be. But it's also very demanding in terms of the inner work you have to do to align one, two, three, and four. Yes. Yes, it is hard. It's hard because this is how we build businesses and have built businesses for a few centuries. Mm. And so we're used to building businesses this way. The way we've built businesses has created our business culture. And now that we've created our business culture, that anchors our business ecosystem stable where it is. So we actually need to change both the business culture and our structures simultaneously for either of them to be able to change. That's where it's really challenging for existing businesses. Yeah. And that's why we've chosen in Evolut 6 to focus for now on startups, where we're starting from scratch and where we can incorporate the company from day one. Yeah inclusive of all of the capitals and stakeholders the company touches an existing company well we've got this age-old thing of how do you catch a monkey well you cut a small hole into a coconut the monkey's <laughs> hands go in they grab the seeds then the fist with the seeds in it is too big to big come to out of the out. hole mm. but the monkey would rather die not that they're necessarily consciously thinking of this but the desire to keep hold of this valuable food that they're holding often exceeds their drive to escape and stay alive. Mm. And that's really, I think, the problem that we're wrestling with across the planet today. Mm. We're like a bunch of monkeys that are holding on to these valuable seeds, <laughs> and they're called shares, dollars, mm -hmm. euros, yeah, whatever. Capital. And we can't let go of the pumpkin, even though we really know that if we don't let go of the pumpkin, climate change is going to mm. kill us all in the next 10 to 20 years. Mm. We've created well, our own monster, basically. Yes, exactly. Well, it won't kill us all in the next 10 to 20 no. years, but it, it will become irreversible and calamitous for a significant fraction of the human population in the next 20, 10 to 20 years. I feel quite disappointed when I look around globally and see how many people feel that they should dedicate some of their personal agency to that. because I know we're strata four company level but at every level you can start enacting change on that particular topic can't you yes yes is this something you incorporate into your model with the startups because you're essentially creating a new paradigm aren't you that fits on a model that doesn't fit with the rest of society for the moment so that's really interesting as to how how you put that jigsaw piece together oh well, not the piece but the puzzle how does that fit back into the puzzle because if i look at Let's just go back to, I don't know, digital transformation or innovation where they have, they go from idea to proof of concept. The real issue is going from proof of concept to industrialized solution or putting it back into the larger, wider organization because there's so many antibodies there. So I know you're working with startups to create this model. How are you helping them fit back in, if you like, or are they not fitting back in? Is that the point? So the way that we're approaching this, very much in the sense of, of rebuild, in the sense of what Buckminster Fuller said. Mm. He was repeating what ancient Greek philosophers were saying as well. If you want to rebuild a system, don't try to rebuild the whole system as it is now. Mm. Build a prototype of the system you want to see and then the existing system will step-by-step step rebuild itself. So our approach is to build a 
new way of doing business across all four strata where it's inherently inclusive across all four strata, including in the governance of the company that includes all stakeholders, all capitals. Mm -hmm. And we're doing this by constructing a holding company that will mm -hmm. do the investment into all the companies we're building. And that means that we don't need each company to, in some sense, fit into the existing system. All that we need is enough fit between the holding company and the existing system for existing investors to be willing to invest in the holding company. And yeah. that's relatively easy because we can structure a holding company that is still completely true to all of our values and principles. And because it's a really big holding company, <laughs> the investor shares can be listed publicly, making mm -hmm. it very easy for investors to sell their shares when they want mm. to exit without any worry about, oh, am I going to find somebody who wants to buy this company that has been built in a completely inclusive way across all four strata? I mean, I'm just, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, so the real issue, not the real issue, the real challenge isn't innovation to get from idea to proof of concept. It's innovation to, from proof of concept to whatever happens next. And it's not necessarily industrializing the solution and trying to impact the given whole. Um, I'm hearing that also it's a, it's around, well, it brings me back to Margaret Mead, you know, and her famous quote of, you know, never underestimate that a small group of committed citizens can change the world because, you know, nothing is, it always has worked like that. And I'm just thinking now around industrialization as a word, because in my head it's big. <laughs> it means spreading it out widely. Maybe maybe that isn't the way, and maybe that's come from thinking before that that was more linear. So maybe it's around getting innovative and inclusive around the way we take whatever we've built back into a different system with a view to changing bits of it till it till it starts releasing less antibodies. I, I love what you've just said. Here are two <laughs> thoughts that I'm playing with. One of them is, to some extent, we're talking about in. Well, both of them are, we're talking about inclusion the way nature talks about inclusion. Yeah. And so if, for instance, a storm sweeps through an ecosystem and flattens a whole bunch of trees and bushes or a fire, mm. a natural fire sweeps through an ecosystem, then it doesn't take very long before nature invades the ecosystem yeah you know be it seeds that are st still there that weren't burnt or weren't blown away that start to germinate or new seeds that come in new animals that move in birds that fly over whatever it may be so nature doesn't try to suppress itself in yeah. order to fit into the old system it opens up an offer and a promise of rebuild, yeah. of harnessing everything that is there of value, and what is the new ecosystem that we can rebuild using everything that's there and everything that we can bring in, at least everything that's there of value. And the much used, perhaps overused other way of looking at it, again from nature, is a butterfly includes everything that the caterpillar was, but yes. is nothing like anything that the caterpillar was. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really interesting because it's nature's definition of inclusion, which there is some exclusion in there. Yes. To come back to what you were talking about before. And I think I'm thinking now maybe that's a thought process for how we generate more regenerative models in organizations maybe it's about excluding some practices yes. maybe it's about you know as you said rebuilding on existing valuable practices but cutting through our own filters and thought forms um, to, to get a different perspective and not just wanting to industrialize it so that we can get the most value without an aligned definition of value <laughs> from from the solution i mean outside of finance there are lots of other definitions of value but i really like the analogy with nature and what nature does i mean 
if you look at the body and how the body heals, it's the same. The skin or the cells, or the, they go and get what they need and they build it differently or the same, depending on how big their challenge is. Yeah. I always remember having pins taken out of my wrist and just being in awe of the way it just healed. Yes. And I'm sure it wasn't just like that inside, but you know, you can hardly see anything, but it does look a little bit different, <laughs> but it's fit for purpose. Yes. If you like. So yes. I, I like that idea. Actually, what you've just said triggers an interesting thought in me. In some senses, your body was not actually healing itself. And I, I'm simplifying here mm. because, yes, of course, your body was healing itself. But it struck me as you were speaking, the essence of a living organism is that it's at a micro level, it's constantly dying and regrowing. Yeah. And so in some senses, what happened with your body was more that everything that was around, everything that was broken died away and its replacement grew and it grew back whole rather than broken. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to all the work I've done in organizations when I was in an organization and now supporting organizations. And if you don't get stuck in that hamster wheel of I've got to figure it out, I've got to figure it out, I've got to find a solution, and you let things be, in inverted commas, then maybe that's the process that happens and it looks and feels completely different. Yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's the point of looking at organizations also as living beings, Yeah, is recognizing that the whole organization is actually constantly changing. Mm. It's constantly moving. It's a bit like the difference between a motor that is actually powering something and is running mm. versus a statue of a motor. Go on, say more. <laughs> so, yeah, a statue of a motor looks like a motor, but it's static. It doesn't run. It's not moving. <laughs> it's not moving. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, a business, you know, the organizational structure, there's nothing in a business that is actually static mm. until the business is dead. Everything is alive. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's constantly changing. It's constantly dying and regrowing. Mm. And so the, the very much the art of inclusion, I think, is that art of really increasing regrowth, rebuild, mm. which means increasing shutting down, cutting off death. And it's if we try to keep things static, unchanging, fixed, that it becomes really difficult to change organizations because the very mechanism that enables change to happen has now been starved away. Mm. So, so maybe it's a complementary pair, finally. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, instead of talking about wanting to create innovation cultures, cultures of learning, cultures that experiment all the time, we should be looking at, you know, and for me, a digital culture is a culture that understands exactly what we're talking about. It's an inclusive culture where you can experiment, but you can also have regenerative models. Yes. So essentially... That's why for me, it's based on experience, humans and understanding human experience at work. And they're just too, they're diametrically opposed KPIs mm. delivering to, you know, financial KPIs and understanding how the organization should fluidly work because yes. that's a little bit scary, isn't it? To have something fluid within such a rigid frame. And I'm just thinking maybe it is a complementary pair and maybe we should be looking at it completely differently. So how can we create space between them? <laughs> uh, because my next question was around scaling. And I know you help organizations to set up these regenerative models and start from there. How do you go about scaling such a, I was going to call it process. Yeah, let's stick with the word process, but such a sequence or a process. Because in my mind, whenever I say scaling, I'm thinking of standardizing and moving it on and industrializing essentially, but that makes it more binary than maybe it should be. It's a very good question. Let me check, first of all, if you're thinking of scaling, are you thinking of starting with a startup and scaling the startup? Or are you thinking of starting with a large existing organization 
transforming at one point and then spreading it across the organization? The latter, more so. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm interested so, in both, but I think most of the stuckness I've seen is in the larger organizations where, where they're just going round and round in a self-fulfilling prophecy of this isn't going to work, but they get quite a few quick wins, aren't they? Yes. I don't believe that many of our current large organizations will survive this, the kind of transformation process we need. Mm. Um, we need to fundamentally transform the nature of business. We need to do a rebuild from caterpillar to butterfly. Mm. And for me, this is somewhat akin to Nokia. Yes. It didn't yeah. survive the transition from one paradigm of cell phones mm. to the paradigm of smartphones. It's interesting, though, because if I take your butterfly analogy, the imaginal cells were there. There were people knocking on the boardroom door saying, look at this prototype we should do, which had a touchscreen on it and everything that they ended up with the Apple ended up producing and they ended up like sort of dying out of the market from. Yes, exactly. The imaginal cells were there, but because the processes and structures of business today, the stratum four and stratum three, stratum two, and stratum one, everything that is around continuous regeneration in those strata is heavily damped down, primarily because of the power structures that flow out of stratum four, how we mm. incorporate. Yeah. You know, the, the companies are unable to engage in this kind of constant regrowth. Mm. Nature is not like that. Nature, you know, I'm fascinated by the trees that I'm seeing at the moment in summer that were blown over in the storms in mm. winter, and how many of those trees are still alive? And they now have branches. The, you know, the trunk is horizontal, and there are new branches, thin shoots of branches that are coming up vertically mm. out of the trunk. Mm. So the trunk has adapted completely. The tree has adapted completely to its new context of being a lying down tree rather than a standing up tree. <laughs> tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's changed identity. It's changed identity. <laughs> it says, oh, okay, I'm now a lying down, down tree. tree. My job is to grow all of these shoots going up and maybe some, uh, you know, whatever. So yeah, I, I have a lot of doubt about many existing businesses being able to do this mm. because of the... If a company is incorporated in such a way that the investors have decision authority over how long the CEO is in position, how long the board is in position, that means that it takes an unusual CEO to, to do what's right if it's not what the investors want. Mm. It takes a very rare CEO to say, no, I'm going to limit my total remuneration package to 15 times the lowest paid full-time equivalent, which is you know, mm. part of what we know we need. Mm. And it's, it's going to take a very unusual set of shareholders at the shareholder meeting to, to even propose that, let alone mandate it. Mm. And so in that sense, I have a, a lot of doubt. I, you only have to look at Unilever, for example, mm. where Paul Polman had to dial back some of the initiatives that he was pushing through in his final couple of years because of the threat of a hostile takeover from Kraft. And a few years later, Kraft, Kraft's market capitalization collapsed mm. because they simply were not as value-centric and as regeneration-centric as Unilever was at that stage. Unilever thrived. but even Unilever and other companies that are really pushing the envelope, they're still deeply embedded within our existing paradigm. Mm. They're not really transforming the nature of business. They're making small incremental improvements within the current nature of business. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's, that's why I'm saying I have not much hope of the, let's say, 
the generic company out there mm. still being around in 10, 20 years' time. Um, and that's why we're focusing on startups because mm-hmm. I believe that mm-hmm. startups can scale. And I'll put one more thought in around startups. One of the issues that we're facing is that scaling at the moment is somewhat akin to starting with a single-celled amoeba and then inflating it to the size of an elephant, whereas nature scales by creating a multiplicity of cells Mm. until you get to a number of cells that is the size of an elephant, where each cell is now highly specialized for a very special purpose. Mm. But all of the cells are interacting with each other. They're collaborating with each other. They're competing with each other all of it happening together. And that's that, to my mind, is part of the nature of business we need. It's more like a multicellular elephant rather than an amoeba the size of an elephant. I love that analogy. So basically, startups are amoebas masquerading as elephants. Yes. Uh, but, but I really like that because you can feel the pressure in that analogy of yes. how, how big it's getting and how much pressure is in there. And it's not shared pressure, is it? So, and it's not sustainable. No. So, w- what would your advice be for organizations, existing organizations, looking to make a dent in how they could start thinking about regenerative models with, with the legacy systems? Because everyone has legacy systems and they also have legacy human systems and culture. Yes. And so, you know, I, that feels quite overwhelming. But if you were sat on the top table of a large organization, where would you be recommending that they start? Two recommendations. The first recommendation is you can do an experiment within a large organization and really firewall it. Mm. Protect it right from the top, from the executive level, and protect the freedom of this part of that organization to do things in a completely rebuilt way Mm. and eliminate all possibility of intermediate layers of the hierarchy having any say in the matter. So that's the one thing that can be done. And then as that proves itself to be more and more successful, there's the possibility of that spreading its way through the rest of the organization. It's going to require shareholder buy-in. So it may only be doable with a family-owned enterprise. And if if it's not a family-owned enterprise, it will require the executives to do some very careful work Mm. with their primary investors to scale it across the rest of the organization. Mm. The other thing to do is to take advantage of the possibility in in the rapidly growing arena of corporate venture capital. So the company invests money in a startup that is inherently built differently. For example, in a startup that is inclusively incorporated where all capitals and stakeholders have balanced voting rights, somewhat the Mm. way we're doing in Mm. our holding company. And then the route going forwards is that the original company, once it's proven that each of these startups simply works better, they now have proof they've built a rebuilt system that works fundamentally better And step by step, the original company will slowly hollow out. All of the business units will become startups built this way. The original company will end up as a holding company of these companies. And I think that's the route forwards for existing companies. Very few will manage that, but it's the route forwards And that's where we then meet in the middle because we're Mm -hmm. creating a holding company that will create and invest in startups, creating an ecosystem of companies that have been fundamentally rebuilt from the bottom up 
Mm. And these large existing companies can start and move down and will both end up as holding companies, holding a small ecosystem, and then the holding companies can start to interact with each other, creating the global economy or the global ecosystem. And those are stratum five and six. six. Stratum five is a local economic ecosystem, and stratum six is the global economic ecosystem. I'm going to leave our listeners with, (laughs) I was going to say the thinking about the ambition for levels five and six and the global ecosystem and looking at how they can contribute to that as they either work through their startup or through their organization. Graham, thank you so much for coming and sharing your insight and book and stories with us. Where can people find out more about Evolute 6, what you do, and these different strata? Right. The best place is, first of all, to get hold of a copy of my book, Rebuild the Economy, Leadership and You, by Graham Boyd and Jack Reardon. You can find more about me and blogs and other interviews like this, including the previous interview that we did on my website, which is graham-boyd.biz. And then our, let's say, the company website that is bringing all of this to life is evolute6.com, E-V-O-L-U-T-E-S-I-X.com. And the the next program we're running, for example, is a transforming climate anxiety into action workshop for people who want to transform that. And towards the end of the year, we intend to run our next cohort on creating regenerative business ecosystems. Excellent. Thank you very much. So thank you once again. And I look forward to our next podcast in a year's time when we will have created and piloted some regenerative ecosystems, at least at some level of the strata. Yes, I look forward to that, although I'll put in the (laughs) initial hint now. We already have 13 companies incorporated this way that are naturally forming up into an ecosystem. Oh, excellent. How exciting. You can tell me about their ecosystem. (laughs) Yes, I will do that. Wonderful. Thank Thank you. you, Susie. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your review and your feedback. And it's bye from me for now, and I'll see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. <laughs>